a message on faith, faith in Christianity, faith in church, right? Go hand in hand. I don't, how, many, how many athletes do we have in the church? How many people are like ba- basketball, baseball, football players? There's a handful of you. How many of you used to be athletes? All right, there we go. That's better. All right. You're like, eh, that ship sailed. Um, if you played any kind of sport, soccer, baseball, football, basketball, rugby, cricket, whatever. In every sport, we understand this, every sport has fundamentals. There's fundamentals, right? I, I, I was mentioning to some of our leaders this morning, when, when the LA Lakers go to practice, <laughs> wow, okay, there's... When they go to practice, or whatever basketball team you follow, when they show up for practice, these players who are paid way too much money, millions of dollars to dribble a ball and shoot it in a basket, when they show up to practice, you know what, you know what I know they don't do? They don't come in and just practice their dunks. They don't come in and go, okay, let's just practice the dunk, and let's make sure you look good doing it, Right? Because it's not a fundamental. So even at the very top elite level of sports, when they come into a practice, what do they practice? Fundamentals. We're going we're gonna to do drills and exercises that make sure that we get those fundamentals set in our, in, in our, in just even in our muscle memory. I've, I've tried my hand at golf a few times. No. I, I'm like, I, I can be frustrated for free. I don't have to pay money to be frustrated, right? But I'm told that golf is all about muscle memory and you have to hit the range and you have to just hit hundreds of golf balls to just get the fundamentals down. And I'm like, yeah, I've got other things I can do with my time. It's true in soccer. It's true in, in every one of those sports that I mentioned. And it's really no different in our faith. See, when we talk about our relationship with the Lord, faith becomes this thing that's kind of like, oh yeah, I'm aware that I need to have faith. Even as Bob was talking about this morning, Lord, Lord, grow my faith, build my faith. We understand that we, we have a relationship with God because of faith, that we, we, we come to Jesus by faith. But I think what happens sometimes, we go down the road a little bit in our, in our walk with the Lord, and, and the fundamental of faith becomes kind of a, a secondary thing, and then we want to have all of the experiential things. God, I just want to feel you. And then, and then it goes even a step further where, God, God, I just need you to move on my behalf and do something for me. And it's amazing how our, our faith can move from faith to being something more transactional where we're going to God when we are just desirous of something. Now, hear my heart, God wants to meet our needs. Amen? God wants to meet your needs. He wants to heal you. He wants to take care of of you. He wants to do all of these things. But he's not there just to do those things. That there's some fundamentals that need to be in place for us. And it's really wrapped up in this idea of faith. Hebrews chapter 11, verse 1. Now faith is confidence in what we hope for and assurance about what we do not see. This passage and this 
series of words in this, in this sentence that are strung along. In, in some places, we would call this an oxymoron. It doesn't make sense. Wait, faith is confidence, right? If I'm confident, I know something in what I hope for. I'm confident in something that's not even, that I don't even perceive to be a reality right now. And, and, then, and then he goes on to say it's an assurance of something I can't even see. Now our world is built upon like this premise, like if it's real, you can touch it, you can f- taste it, you can feel it, you can sense it, right? There's a, there's a tangibility to this. And, and, and the writer of Hebrew, Hebrews here is saying this, that faith is really centered on the unseen and the thing that does not yet exist. You go, well, how, how does that happen? How do I get this confidence and this hope? How do I get this assurance in, in something that I haven't even seen yet? And I think one of the biggest challenges for us in our, in, in our culture is this, that our faith becomes, that we, like, we put our faith in our faith. Let me tell you this morning, your faith isn't in your faith. Your faith is not wrapped up in your ability to have more faith. Because then it's dependent on you. If I just had more faith, God would move. I think that in in that the object of our faith is misplaced and we think, well, it's all about me. But we understand this in, in even the word theology means it's a study of God, not the study of man. And we need to come to the word saying, what does this tell me about God? What does this reveal about his nature and his character? And when we read this about faith, what we see is this, is that God is faithful. That I can have put my confidence in him and hope for things that are not yet because I, it, because I know that he is going to come through, that he is at, at work. I can be assured of things that I do not see. Can we see God? No. But I have an assurance that he is with me and he is for me and that he is working in my life. See, faith is not wishful thinking. It's not wishful thinking. It's it's not like going down to the convenience store and buying a lottery ticket and going, I really hope this happens. That's not faith. Faith is not wishful thinking. Faith has an object and his name is Jesus. That we look to Jesus, we trust him, we fix our eyes on him. And we understand this in the world that we live, there's trouble. There's things in your life that are troubling. You might be walking through things right now that, are, that, that you would characterize as storms, places of unsettledness, whether that's financially, whether that's physically, whether that's relationally, maybe, maybe it's just you're bothered by what's happening in, in the world or in our nation politically or what's happening around the world on a global scale with suffering and things happening in people's lives, there, that our world is filled with trouble. But listen to what Peter writes in 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 3. He says, praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. In his great mercy, he has given us new birth into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead and into an inheritance that can never perish, spoil, or fade. 
This inheritance is kept in heaven for you, who through faith are shielded, who through faith are shielded by God's power until the coming of, the coming of the salvation that is ready to be revealed in the last time. In all this, you greatly rejoice, though now for a little while you may have had to suffer grief in all kinds of trials. These have come so that the proven genuine, so that the proven genuineness of your faith, of greater worth than gold, which perishes even though refined by fire, may, may result in praise, glory, and honor when Jesus Christ is revealed. Though you have not seen him, you love him, love him, and even though you do not see him now, you believe in him and are filled with an inexpressible and glorious joy. For you are receiving the end results of your faith, the salvation of your souls. Peter says a lot here. That's a, that's a deep, deep passage. But he ends by saying, listen, your faith is being tested. And as it is, it proves something, it shows something, it reveals something about you. The fact that you are able to stand firm because of your belief in who Jesus is. And then he ends by saying, you have received the end result of your faith, the salvation of your souls. I think one of the things that that becomes a stuck point for us in our faith is we forget that we are citizens of heaven. That our salvation isn't just about this life here on earth. That our salvation extends to eternity and being in the presence of God for eternity. That we are saved not just in the moment, but we are saved for eternity. And so there are things that we do not see yet that God says, it's on its way. Included in that is Him Himself. It's It's the person of Jesus Christ who is coming back for His bride. And we look to that day when we are reunited and restored face to face to be with Jesus. Yet in the midst of the world that we live in, we know this, God is still moving. And in the midst of our affliction and in the midst of our suffering, that God is still there. And as we trust in him and as we stand and and go through the fire and we suffer grief and all kinds of trials, that it produces something of value in us, greater value than gold. Trials test the genuineness of our faith. Now, let's just agree on this. None of us like tests, right? None of us like tests. No, you know, there's, okay, there's a few weirdos who are like, I, I love taking tests. No, we don't like tests, whether that is a math test or a trial that we face in our lives, some kind of difficulty or hardship. We're not just going, hey, sign me up for more. Bring it on. Let's be honest, most of our prayers probably like, God, make it stop. Amen? God, make it stop. God, I've had enough. God, I can't go any further. God, I, I just don't have what it takes. Even as Bob was expressing earlier, as we, we talk about those walls, God, these walls, why are these walls still standing? Why are these things still in the way? God, what else do I need to do? And this is where the Lord would say to us, trust me. Trust that I am at work. Trust that I am doing something beyond what you can see. Be assured of what you do not see. Rest 
Put your trust in, in what is unseen in the moment. That God is moving. That he's, he's calling us to step into the unknown. Which, by the way, he does all throughout Scripture. Stepping into the unknown. Is, isn't that what this is all about? Where God says, hey, I want to move in your life. And you're like, God, I can't see it. I, I don't think I can take that step. And he goes, yes, you can. I'm calling you to step out of that comfort zone, to step out of what is familiar, to step out of the things that we put our faith and our trust in, which, by the way, there's a bunch of them, right? How easy it is to put my faith and my trust in my job instead of the Lord. To trust my paycheck, not God's provision. To, to trust medicine rather than putting our trust in the hands of the Lord. Now, don't, don't read between the lines and go, Pastor Barry said, I need to quit my job and stop seeing the doctor. Because <laughs> you know that's not what I'm saying. But there's things that we attach our hearts to that we attach our thinking to, we attach our hope to, and then we ask God to bless the thing that we're attaching our hope to, and he's going, no, no, no. Fix your eyes on me. Put your faith and your trust in me, and I will move through whatever means I see necessary. That picture of the walls of the, the children of Israel marching around the city of Jericho. God says, hey, you're gonna go march around the city. That's how you're gonna defeat. That's how you're gonna bring down the walls. Really, God? Yes. And it happened just the way that God said it was going to happen. But if they had stayed in a place where they said, God, no, we need battering rams, not sandals, they would never have entered the promised land. That we have to be able to say, God, I'm going to step out in faith and do something responding to your invitation. Again, this is a theme throughout Scripture which is important for us to recognize. God's consistency, we sang about it this morning. God, I've seen you move. You've moved the mountains. And, and, and we're not just talking about what God has done in our lives, right? I've seen God move in my life, but it extends beyond that. I, I can read in Scripture what God did in the lives of other men and women throughout history, and I can claim those promises for my own life. God, I've seen you move, and I believe that you will do it again. See, there was this guy named Noah. And God said, Noah, it's going to rain. And Noah said, what's rain? <laughs> and he said, because it's going to rain, there's going to be a flood. And he says, well, what's a flood? <laughs> and because it's going to flood, I need you to build an ark. What's an ark? And it took him a hundred years and tons of ridicule from his neighbors to do the thing that God called him to do. And guess what? It rained and there was a flood and Adam and his family were spared. There's a guy named Abraham and Sarah who had all kinds of encounters with God. But one of those, God says to Abraham, hey, I need you to leave your land and your family, and everything you know, and everything that's familiar, and I need you to go, a land, go to a land, what does God say? That I'll show you later. 
How many of you would be like, I am so on board? <laughs> I mean, come on, we live in California. How many of you go on Zillow and look at house prices in other states? <laughs> and then you're like, ugh. <laughs> right? Because we're planners. And we're like, Lord, I'll, I'll follow you if you map it out exactly every step of the way. Abraham, he says, listen, I need you to follow me, follow me, Abraham. And I'm not even telling you where you're going. So what did Abraham do? He followed him. By the way, we read about all of these in Hebrews. Gideon, threshing wheat in a wine press because he's afraid. And the angel of the Lord says up, shows up and says, Oh, mighty man of valor, who are you talking to? I need you to go fight this army. And by the way, I, I don't want you to have the tens of thousands of soldiers you have. Go down to the creek. And those that get down and lap like a dog, send them home. And he ends up going from tens of thousands of soldiers to 300. Then he tells them, hey, now take those 300 and give them trumpets and, and torches with, with jars over those torches. This is how I'm going to defeat the enemy. Really? Yes, and one of the greatest victories in the history of Israel was won. Esther, Esther, I've called you to be the queen, and I'm asking you to go before the king uninvited, which could cost you your life. But if you don't do this, your people, my people, will die. I need you to step out and put your life on the line. And she does it. Moses, go before Pharaoh, but I can't speak. And by the way, the last time I was in Egypt, I killed someone. Didn't go so well. <laughs> but I will be with you. And so Moses went. David facing Goliath. But I tell you what, and we'll read about this here in a few minutes. Goliath was not the greatest victory in David's life. I believe the greatest victory in David's life was when he was in a cave and had the opportunity to kill his enemy. And he refused. Elijah surrounded by enemies. And then the Lord shows him the army of the Lord. The host behind it reveals something greater to him. How about those disciples? When God says to them, and Jesus goes to them and says, drop everything and follow me. See, faith Stepping out in faith, believing God, trusting him, taking him at his word means very often, if not all the time, saying no to other things in our life that are vying for our attention. And this is the fundamental of this. This is where this is so key for us because we get distracted. We get fixated on the wrong things. Anyone else? I do. I get fixated. I get my eyes locked on the wrong things. And it happens so easily. And we get stuck. And we get into a routine. And we forget that God is inviting us into a kind of faith relationship with Him. Where we surrender all of those things at His feet and say, God, you move in my life. I'm going to shift the analogy when I talk about cameras. 
was at men's prayer yesterday morning, and Aaron and I were there, and we were talking about lenses and the way we see life sometimes, and he brought up the idea that, you know, a, a camera, in fact, I've got a, a picture of this, this camera as a professional setup, um, that you'd use different lenses to take different pictures. And sometimes we look at life through the, long, the wrong lens. We look at our, at our relationships through the wrong lens. We get our, our perspective set. Now, I have a phone that has a camera built into it. Anyone else? And it's a decent camera. But this does not make me a photographer. Now, some people would think it does. The reality is this is limited, right? I mean, how many of you remember going on vacation and it was like, well, you didn't have a phone with you because that wasn't a thing, but you had the camera bag and you had like the lenses and you had the, right? And, and you, remember, you remember film, right? I remember the days when you didn't just take as many pictures as you wanted. I have like 40, 50,000 photos in my, my photos folder, I remember, like, my dad was, like, he would select every photo because, right, there was, like, 30-something on that, on that reel, on that spool, and, and you didn't waste any of those. This doesn't make you a photographer. Photography requires that you have the right equipment. And so you have a, a couple of camera bodies there, and then you have the lenses that switch out, and each one of them are going to perform a different function. I, I titled the message this morning, Faith Focus, because I think sometimes what we have to do is we have to focus on the right things. And sometimes that involves us switching things out in our lives. See, to get a good picture, you need to have the right setup. If you're shooting, for instance, motion, let's say you want to shoot like an Impala in South Africa. Now that's actually, and, and I'm using this as an example of a bad setup because you see how it's blurred? The shutter speed is wrong, the aperture is wrong, and all of those other things that I don't understand are not set correctly for this picture. You have to have the right lens. You have to have the right shutter speed. You have to have the right f-stop and all of those things that photographers know. And just seemingly, they just, they just know how to do it. To capture a picture, this is what my pictures look like. Just kind of blurred and blown out and too much light or too much dark. Because the setup is wrong. Doesn't your life feel like this sometimes? Like you're moving through life and it's this blur and you're just from one thing to the next to the next and, and you're going, Lord, what's going on? I, I can't seem to get perspective here. The next picture I have up here is just this macro lens. It's this, you get in really close, a lens that you can get super close up and get really high levels of detail and, and it gets even better than this, but in order to take that kind of picture, you've got to get a tripod because you, you can't have any movement. You've got to have the right lens and the right lighting to produce these kinds of pictures. See, in our lives, what we have to realize is to get a, a, an accurate picture of how God is moving in our lives, we've got to adjust our focus. We've got to adjust our perspective because things can get out of focus, and when things get out of focus, it leads to wrong ways of thinking and understanding the world around us, which results in relationships going sideways, which we were talking about last week and over the last few weeks. Because now, 
my, my lack of focus and my lack of faith starts being projected onto other people. So I'm either trusting people and they're letting me down. I'm trusting a job and it's letting me down. And, and then what I'm doing with God is just going back to him and complaining to him about the people that he's put in my life. And I believe the Lord would invite us to press in. I have three quick points this morning and then we'll close. First is this, you've got to look to God. Faith is about looking to God. It's all about looking to God. You have to adjust the focal point of your life. We get that, right? When you have a camera, even with an iPhone camera, when you take a picture, whatever you're focused on, whatever that point is that you want the subject of your picture, you're going to aim that, that camera at that subject and make sure that thing is in focus. Jesus has to be the focal point of our life. It seems to go without saying, yet how many of us struggle with that? I do. I struggle with that. That I get up and I get going with my day and then things start kind of not going as well as I'd hoped them to go. And then I realize, well, I didn't even stop to ask Jesus to speak to me this morning. I didn't stop long enough just to acknowledge him and praise him in my life. To thank him for his presence. And then I wonder, well, why, am, why is my day going so hard? Why am I struggling in my thoughts? Why am I so distracted? It's because I've not stopped. My focal point, my focus is off. So good to ask this question. Just in life and in general. Just stop throughout your day as you're encountering things and ask this question. What does God say? What does God say? God, I'm, I'm, I'm encountering this issue in my workplace. My boss and I are not getting along. And I just, I feel myself getting fired up. And he said some things or she said some things that, that, that are not right, that were hurtful. To stop in that moment and say, what does God say? What does his word say? What does his truth say? What do his promises say about me, about my life, about his work in my life? That's adjusting our focus. It's stopping to say, God, I want to I look to you. That we would stop in those moments right before we get into an argument. You know what I'm talking about, right? Can I get an amen, anyone? Amen. You, you, you know when you're on the slippery slope. And you would stop in that moment and say, God, what do you say right now? Jesus, what are you speaking? To fix our eyes on him. Hebrews chapter 12, 1 through 2 says this. Therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, and he just got talking about all of those heroes of the faith in the Old Testament. He says, let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles and let us run with perseverance the race marked out for us, fixing our eyes on Jesus, the pioneer and perfecter of what? A faith. For the joy set before him, he endured the cross, scorning its shame and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. We are to fix our eyes on Jesus and get rid of the distractions, ignore the distractions because they will get us 
off track. There are things that will hinder us. And so we have to come back to the fundamentals. Look to Jesus. Fix your eyes on Jesus. What does Jesus say? Because you know what he's doing in the midst of that? He's perfecting your faith. I think we get that backwards. God, I've got to perfect my faith so I can come to you. And he goes, no, come to me and I'll work on your faith. And that's just part of the culture and the world that we live in that puts it on us. Hey, you do all the work. You earn it. You measure up. And then I'll tell you if you've made the grade. And Jesus says, no, come to me, all you who are weary and heavy laden, those who are struggling and you're hurt and you're depressed and you're down, come to me and I'll do a work in you and then I will grow your faith through that means. But we have to fix our eyes on Jesus. We know the story of Peter in the boat in Matthew chapter 14. Jesus comes walking to the the disciples on the water and they're in the boat. And at first they're freaked out because Jesus is walking on the water. And that's just not normal. And then they realize it's Jesus and Peter says, Lord, if it's you, tell me to come to you. I I wonder if in that moment he's like, what am I saying? Like, remember, this is Peter. He grew up around water. But something inside of him just, Lord, if it's you, tell me to come to you. And Jesus says, come. And so Peter got out of the boat, walked on the water towards Jesus. But listen to this. When he saw the wind, he was afraid and began to sing and sink and cried out, Lord, save me. And immediately Jesus reached out his hand and caught him. And listen to what Jesus says. You of little faith, he said, why did you doubt? Now, I don't know why, but in my mind, and I think in the way that I just grew up in the world that we live in, maybe you do this as well, you read that line, you have little faith like this. You have little faith. I've spent so much of my life reading that, that line like Jesus said it in disgust. Such a loser. You realize that is not the heart of God at all. First, because there's nothing in Scripture that supports that. There's nothing that supports that. But more than that, we know the heart of God, that He has our best intentions at heart and mind. And so what He's saying to Peter is, Peter, Peter, your faith, I recognize you're struggling You're struggling to have the faith that you need. You're struggling. You got your eyes in the wrong place. You looked at the things around you and you started to doubt, Peter, if you would just look to me, if you would put your faith in me, life will look a whole lot different. In fact, you'll be able to do things and move in ways that you would seem impossible, up to including walking on water. I've seen you move, you've moved the mountains, and I believe that you will do it again. See, the object of our faith is not our faith, it's Jesus Christ, and we have to keep our eyes fixed on him. I love that Peter got out of the boat, by the way, because there's a whole bunch of dudes who didn't. Right? He got out of the boat. 
And we get to benefit from the encounter he has with Jesus. The next thing is this, we have to wait on God. We have to wait on God. Can I tell you this morning, hurry is the enemy of peace. Hurry is the enemy of peace. If your life is hurried, you will struggle to find peace. Isaiah 30, 15 through 16, and then verse 18. This is a passage we read in our, our devotional with the Emotionally Healthy Relationships class this week. And it hit me like a ton of bricks. Like Bob was saying, it just kind of was like sitting in Starbucks reading these words. And I'm like, oh my goodness. This is what the sovereign Lord, the Holy One of Israel says. In repentance and rest is your salvation. In quietness and trust is your strength. But you would have none of it. You said, no, we will flee on horses, therefore you will flee. And you said, we will ride off on swift horses, therefore your pursuers will be swift. And then he says in verse 18, yet the Lord longs, listen to that church, the Lord longs to be gracious to you. Therefore, he will rise up to show you compassion, for the Lord is a God of justice. Blessed are all who wait for him. Isaiah here is speaking to the children of Israel, and it's actually in reference to something I talked about last week. It was the destruction of Israel, and the Assyrian army had come and surrounded that city. And here's the thing, Jerusalem had faced enemies before. But every time before, they had stopped and said, God, what are you asking us to do? God, how do we face this enemy? And in the face of overwhelming odds, they were never defeated until this moment in time when the Assyrians show up and the Israelites go, hey, we know what to do and we don't need to check in with God. See, because they had amassed a bunch of horses and a bunch of chariots and they thought, here's what we're going to do. We're going to use our shiny armor... And we're going to go out and defeat this enemy. And it led to their destruction. And Isaiah, through the prophet Isaiah, God tells them, listen, it's not in that stuff. It's not in the horses. It's not in the chariots. It's in repentance and rest and quietness and trust. We have to slow down. You cannot wait on God when you're running 100 miles an hour. Hurry is the enemy of peace. I think sometimes I grew up in a church where so often I was like, oh, we go to pray because the enemy is doing this. Satan's coming against me and Satan's. And sometimes I think we blame Satan for things. He's like, I, I didn't even do that. Because we start moving in our own strength, in our own wisdom. We have a high estimation of ourselves and, and God's going, slow down, just wait. And we're like, no, I got it, I'm good. Which is pride. And there's destruction that comes with that. So God says to us, repent and then rest to find salvation. Quietness and trust is your strength. Be still and know that I am God. This prayer was included in our journal reading this week, and it's 
it's a prayer that St. Patrick would pray and said, in fact, it said that it was on his breastplate. This was printed out or sewn or however they, they had it, but just listen to these words. And they'll be up on the screen, but listen to these. This is what St. Patrick would, would pray. Christ with me. Christ before me. Christ behind me. Christ in me. Christ beneath me, Christ above me, Christ at my right, Christ at my left, Christ when I lie down, Christ when I sit down, Christ when I arise, Christ in the heart of every man who thinks of me, Christ in the mouth of everyone who speaks of me, Christ in every eye that sees me. Christ in every ear that hears me. I arise today through, the, through a mighty strength, the invocation of the Trinity, through belief in the threeness, through confession in the oneness of the creator of creation. We have to see Jesus, and we have to wait for him. We have to invite his presence into every part of our lives. I went through in my, in my journal and I added some words. And I want to read those to you. This is what spoke to me. Christ with me. My friend. Christ before me. My leader. Christ behind me. My encourager. Christ in me. My hope. Christ beneath me, my foundation. Christ above me, my covering. Christ on my right, my director. Christ on my left, my support. Christ when I lie down, my rest. Christ when I sit down, my peace. Christ when I arise, my strength. Christ in the heart of every man who thinks of me my confidence, Christ in the mouth of everyone who speaks of me, my defender, Christ in every eye that sees me, my reflection, and Christ in every hear, ear that hears me, my witness. This is Christ, this is Jesus, this is who he wants to be in our lives. But we gotta slow down and meet him in each of these places to invite him in and say, Lord, would you be with me? Would you be around me? Would you be above me to my left and to my right? And here's the thing, church, he is. We just miss him because we're so in a hurry and our faith is misplaced. Then finally this morning, move with God. Look to God, wait for God, and then move with God. We're good at the move part. Man, we are a get it done kind of culture. Just tell me what I got to do. Just lay it out in four easy steps, please. Is there a YouTube video that I can watch that can help me just get it done? Right? I mean, come on, how has that changed the world? It is not uncommon now when someone's cooking that they've got a computer open in their kitchen watching a YouTube video. How do I do that now? And so we just want the result. We want to get moving. 
Great, Pastor Barry. I love everything you're talking about. I love talking about rest, but can we do something now? Megan and I have had to figure this out in our relationship because we go to the beach. We love going to the beach. It's just a, a favorite place for us. But I like to go to the beach and sit in a chair and look at the waves and do nothing else. Megan will go to the beach and she'll set up the chairs and the umbrella and everything and she'll sit down for one minute and then go, do you want to go for a walk? No. I don't want to go for a walk. Now, that, that's restful for her. She's like, let's go for a walk. Let's go for a bike ride. And I've learned to love that. But I think sometimes in our, in our life, isn't it the case that, that we, we recognize the, the need for rest? Okay, God, I rested for five minutes. Now what? And God says, no, I need you to really slow down. I need you to be with me. And when you've looked to him and you've focused on him and you've heard from him and you've waited on him and you've waited on him some more, what he will do is he will speak. And he will speak not just with the answer or the solution to the problem, he will speak about what he feels about you. Hey, I love you, I care about you, I'm proud of you. I'm concerned about you. I want to hold you. I want to speak and whisper into your life. And when we've sat in that place for a while, what ends up welling up inside of us in unexpected ways is God says, okay, now let me show you how to move. And very often the way he directs us to move will look very different from the way we just think we should go. But we've got to slow down. See, we often get ahead of ourselves, we jump to conclusions, and we think we know best. If not we know best, the people that are the loudest voices in our lives know best. And how often do we put those voices ahead of the voice of God? I'll tell you, a lot. You just do. Again, though, there's a theme in Scripture we find in 1 Samuel 24, and I'll just tell you the story that it'll be up on the screen. But David is being pursued by Saul who wants to kill him. Now, God has already told David he's the next king of Israel. And Saul's jealous. He's just a little messed up. His focus is in the wrong place. He's broken. But in his brokenness, he now sees David as the enemy. And so he thinks, if I can just get rid of that kid, I'll feel better about myself. And he goes to great lengths to pursue David and try to kill him. And at one place here in 1 Samuel 24, they're in a place called Engedi. And Engedi is in the middle of the desert. It's right by the Dead Sea. And, and there's this valley that goes up and there's these springs and these waterfalls. And it's lush and green. It's this oasis. And there's thousands of caves up in the, in the hills. And so Saul has pursued David and his men to this place, and David is hiding up in one of the caves with his leaders. And the story tells us that Saul unknowingly comes into the same cave where David is to go to the bathroom. And, and while he's in there in a vulnerable position, right? He was caught with his pants down. David's men say to him, this is it. This is what God, God has delivered him into your hand. 
God is doing, God is all over this. David, this is an open door. This is an invitation for you to do this thing that God is calling you to do, to kill your enemy, to strike him down. He has delivered, God has delivered your enemy into your hands. So David doesn't kill Saul, but what he does do is he reaches over and he cuts, over, cuts off a corner of his garment, of his robe. I don't know why he thought to do that, but that's what he did. He doesn't listen to the counsel of his wise men, his friends, his commanders. Saul leaves the cave and goes down a little ways, and then David comes to the mouth of the cave, and he calls out to Saul, and he says, My Lord, the king. And immediately he's racked with guilt over the fact that he cut off a corner of the garment. Because David, even in other places where he had the opportunity to kill Saul, his words were this, who am I to lay a hand against the Lord's anointed? I mentioned earlier that David's greatest victory wasn't killing Goliath. I believe one of his greatest victories was in this moment where surrounded by wise counsel, David said, no, I'm not listening to you. I'm listening to the Lord. Because if David had ascended to the throne that way, without a lack of faith and trust in God, Israel, the story would have looked very different. We have to move with God. We have to look to Him. We need to wait for Him. And then we move when He says move. No matter what the world says, no matter what the people around us say, no matter what that podcast was, or whatever that book that you're reading says, And there's great books and great podcasts. But at the end of the day, you know what matters? The Word of God. And that our faith becomes attached to that. God, I will not move unless you say go. This is the object of our faith. This is where our faith comes into focus. Let's stand together as we close. I want to invite you and encourage you in this. This conversation about faith covers everything in our lives. There's nothing in your life that this doesn't touch. And before the Lord, what you have to do is say, Lord, okay, how do I respond? How do I respond? How do I respond to your presence? How do I respond in the waiting? How do I respond when you tell me to move? What's key here, the church, is that we have to fix our eyes on Jesus. No matter what, whatever's going on in your life, ask yourself, am I looking to Jesus? So Father, this morning we ask that you would help us to get our eyes fixed on you. That we would come back to the fundamentals. It's not about being clever or creative. It's about fixing our eyes on the author and perfecter of our faith. And God, in the midst of the trials, that we will be able to stand confident of what you are doing and the ways that you are working in our lives. We give you praise. In Jesus' name, amen.